I'm Mike Vardy. Are you a small business owner struggling to find the right talent for your team? I've been there and I know how challenging it can be. That's why I recommend LinkedIn Jobs. It's not just any job board. It's a community where you can find professionals who are the perfect fit for your business, many of whom aren't checking other job sites. In fact, 70% of LinkedIn users aren't visiting other leading job sites, making LinkedIn your best bet for finding top talent. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can post your job and reach qualified candidates quickly. 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And now, you can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation. That's right, for free. Don't miss out on finding top talent. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation today. Terms and conditions apply. Starting an online business or expanding your physical storefront online has never been easier thanks to Shopify. This global commerce platform supports you at every stage of your business journey. From launching your online shop to managing a million orders, Shopify is there to simplify and accelerate your growth. It's not just about selling products. Shopify helps you manage every aspect of your business with their all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system. But that's not all. Shopify helps you convert visitors into customers with the best converting checkout process on the internet, which performs up to 36% better than other platforms. And now a special offer for my listeners. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash timecrafting, all lowercase. Whether you're just starting out or looking to scale up, Shopify is the perfect partner for your business. Managing passwords can be a real headache, right? Think about it. Every website requires a new password. Each one needs to be unique, secure, and somehow memorable. But there's a better way. Welcome to the world of 1Password, where your entire company can generate strong, unique passwords, store them securely, and access them across any device without ever needing a reset. Imagine never having to click Forgot Password again. With 1Password's award-winning design, managing passwords becomes a breeze for you and your entire team. It's trusted by millions, including top companies like IBM and Slack. Here's the best part. My listeners can try 1Password for free for two weeks. Right now, get your free trial at onepassword.com slash ProductiveConvo. Secure your passwords and simplify your online security with 1Password. Meal planning is important because it prevents us from being a disappointed wreck when dinner time comes around and we have no clue what to make or even if we have the ingredients to make the meal. It's a time and a money saver, but most importantly, it frees up valuable brain space. Creating a meal plan prepares us for the week to come and gives us peace of mind that we're organized and can feed ourselves and our family. That's why I do it and that's why Plan to Eat helps me do it. Your subscription includes access to the Plan to Eat website and fully featured mobile apps on iOS and Android. And Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, the ones your family loves and that fit your dietary preferences and needs. And you can create a meal plan around your schedule. Then what happens is the Plan to Eat software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. So sign up for your free trial at plantoeat.com slash timecrafting. That's plantoeat.com forward slash timecrafting. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. And this is the Productivityist Podcast. Welcome to the Productivityist Podcast. I am your host, 
Mike Vardy. And this week on the show, we have Craig Ballantyne. And Craig, uh, I was looking forward to having him on the show. Always good to have a fellow Canadian on the show. That's the way I look at it. And what we talked about was his idea of the perfect day formula. That was a big big thing that we we actually got that from him in the in the mail went through it um you know it's, we we talk about the idea of what he puts through in his book and his program and you know i'm just gonna let him explain it because it's his deal and he can explain it far better than i can so let's just get into the discussion i have with craig valentine here on the productivityist podcast enjoy i'd like to welcome craig valentine to the productivityist podcast craig thanks for joining me today happy to help mike so you are, this is great, I get an, another Canadian, this is awesome, maybe I just need to change the whole show to the Canadian Productivity Podcast. It would be a very limited edition podcast series, I think, don't but, you think? But it would be very entertaining with our accents. It would be. Lots of the boots. Are you going to drop, yeah, this is funny, because whenever I talk to a Canadian, we, uh, we, the boots show up, like the, like we, because you end up talking to somebody who has the same, same, do you get a lot of that, by the way, before we dive in? Do you get a lot, like, because you go to, De- you spend part of your time in Denver? People know, people always say, like, there's a tell in, uh, yeah. in the way I speak, whether it's, uh, you know, I used to say the word process, and I think yeah. Americans say process, and yep. so... That was it. I think grocery store is another one. And then uh, obviously anything with the O's. So when I say out and stuff like that. You know, what my tell was is I was at Macworld a few years ago uh, and Brett Terpstra, who's a coder in Minneapolis, he never realized I was like, he knew I was Canadian, but I never really sat because living on the Pacific Northwest, you tend to adopt more of a... Um, it's it's not really even an accent like the Canadian and like you you merge kind of with the Pacific Northwest. But I said the word frickin Ugh. and that was it. He's like, oh, now everything I hear out of your mouth is Canadian. Right. <laughs> so but you you've uh, so you went to the university that I worked at for a little while, McMaster, which is kind of cool. And you've got and you are the uh, you are the uh, with early to rise is the website that you're part of. Right. Early dot com. Correct. Yes. Yep. And and uh, you have written this book and this whole system, really, uh, called The Perfect Day Formula. And you sent me a copy of it. And this is awesome. I got to go through it. And I want to dive into some of that. But why don't you share a bit of your background first uh, so that way my, my listeners who may not know who you are can kind of get a sense of who they're about to listen to for the next uh, half hour or so. Yeah, sure. So back in 1999, when I was going to McMaster University, I was a graduate student, exercise physiology, and I actually invented this workout program that I then started writing about in Men's Health Magazine, and it's called Turbulence Training. And so for 15 years, I've been selling my fitness programs. And essentially, it's like my own version of P90X, and I have bodyweight versions, which is my own version of Insanity Workouts, and a little bit easier than those. I'm not as hardcore as those people, so they're shorter workouts, but they're follow-along videos, very much like what you buy through the infomercials. And so I built my career around that, but at the same time, I was always interested in coaching other people to do what I did, to help people live a better life, to get more done, which is obviously what you want to do as well. And so I started writing about that, and then I bought the business earlytorise.com in 2011, and there's quite a story that goes along with that. And I bought it from a gentleman named Mark Ford, who wrote a whole bunch of books under the name Michael Masterson, including Ready, Fire, Aim, which is his most popular one. But he also has a lot of uh, books called Automatic Wealth, Automatic Wealth for Graduates and stuff like that. So it's very uh, success oriented uh, for the small business person generally and for the high achieving career person. 
Now, I want to talk about this perfect day formula because uh, I read the book. It's 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 actually a brisk read if anybody picks it up. But you sent me the whole program, which is awesome. Uh, so there's there's all the components to it. But I want to dive into the idea of stoicism. I've talked to, you know, I mean, I've, I've read Obstacle is the Way. I love Ryan Holiday's work. Brian Johnson wrote about the philosopher's notes. What What is it that appeals to you about the idea of stoicism and, and the philosophers, especially, you know, I mean, you, you focus specifically on one philosopher in particular. Uh, Never pronounce Epictetus. Epictetus. Yeah. Epictetus. I was going to say Epictetus, but I think it's Epictetus, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, what brought you into Stoicism? What was a big? Because I mean, that's that seems to be a lot of the the new hotness right now is Stoicism. Tim Ferriss is talking about it. Ryan Holiday, of course, uh, with his latest book coming out. Um, as we're recording this, Ego is the Enemy, and of course, he wrote the Obstacle is the Way. What what drew you to that? My business partner is uh, colleagues with those guys as well. His name is Matt Smith, and he really introduced me to it. And he doesn't like the one book that I really like, which is uh, The Art of Living, which is a very small little book, which is a translation, um, maybe even a bastardization of some of his quotes and, and of his of his larger teachings in the discourses. Uh, it was done by a woman named Sharon LaBelle, who I think did a great job of, and I basically would write or read a page of it a day, almost like my horoscope, I guess you would say. And what it really allowed me to do was something that I, I knew was right, but I hadn't ha seen it articulated, was to focus on what I could control. And that's what I actually took from Epictetus in creating my book was a phrase, control what you can, cope with what you can't and concentrate on what counts. And it's very, very simple. That's the 3C formula for having less stress because the biggest problem that, you know, the biggest first world problem that we run into that causes so much stress in our lives is comparing ourselves to others, whether it's financially, whether it's uh, physically, you know, appearance-wise, or even if it's, you know, in how much or how little work someone does, there's so much comparison going on. And if we were able to stop that, we'd be able to free ourselves up to put our energies into other things. Now, I, I, you know, we get into the formula here with the three C's, con control, conquer, and concentrate. One of the things I like about this is that, you know, you've, you've said in the book that anybody can, can adopt it. It doesn't really matter what your station in life is, what your job is, what, what situation you're in. What, what's the barrier to entry for a lot of people versus the ease of adoption? Ease of adoption seems pretty clear cut, you know, I mean, there's, and you go through the whole formula in the book, but what's the barrier to entry you find for a lot of people when, when you introduce this to them, what's their biggest, you know, kind of like, Oh, I can't do that. It's just, it's just not possible. Well, it's amazing. It's really all inside their head because, you know, on day one, I'll get an email from somebody and, and actually side note, one of my chapters has kind of gone viral and it's, been on Australian TV, in Australian newspapers, in English newspapers, and sent hundreds of thousands of people to our website. And it's uh, the ten three two one zero formula for yeah, going. Yeah, I'm going to get to that for sure. That's that's that that to me is one of the most compelling parts of the whole the whole because uh, because it, 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 it's quantitative and qualitative. And it's funny, I almost left that chapter out. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so um, you know, people reject in. The formula, they reject the book because I've got X, Y, Z. I've got two kids. So on day one, I'll get a, an email from somebody. I've got two kids. This won't work. Or, you know, the most critical review of my book is a three-star review from a woman who says, oh, but he doesn't have kids. Or, you know, he's, he doesn't have two small kids and I'm a working mom. And then the next day I'll get 
an equally passionate five-star review from someone who has two younger children than the woman who dismissed it because she has two kids. And so it's all in people's heads. And the reason why that article has gone or that chapter has gone viral is because it allows people to say why I'm wrong. So this one woman in uh, the Daily Mail in the UK, uh, that's one of the articles that's getting the, a lot of press these days or a lot of publicity from what I've written, um, she writes about how she has one child and she just, you know, skewers everything that I recommend in a nice, in a funny way. It's, it's quite snarky and I, I enjoyed reading it. Um, if it wasn't, you know, my ideas, of course, <laughs> but, uh, you know, she, she's able to say, Oh, this is why it won't work. And everyone in the comments section is then able to say, Oh, you're right. It won't work. He's wrong. And so that's why it's probably as popular as it is. But, Um, You know, that's the bottom line is is the gateway to entry is all through your mind. Are you going to, you know, put up the barriers that you put up around everything else in your life about why things won't work? Or are you going to be open minded and say, I'm going to make this work? And those are the only barriers to entry to this because there isn't any fancy stuff to download. There isn't anything, uh, you know, other courses to take. You just either do it or you don't. And if you're not going to do it, that's fine. Just uh, don't say that you can't do it because you could if you really wanted to. The mindset stuff is fascinating because that's really what it boils down to. A lot of the stuff that I teach, a lot of stuff that you know you teach is mindset oriented because it requires a different way of operating. It's not it's not the quote conventional or quote traditional way of doing so. I, I just before our, our call just got off with a, a client who said, you know, I, I'm compelled to check email first thing in the morning. I try not to, and I try to get to that that inbox zero state, which again, I've said many times before, is not what people think it means. That's not what it actually means. But, uh, you know, you mentioned in the book that you don't check email till noon. I'm a very big, and, and I think you only check it, what, once or twice a day now at this point? Yeah, a couple of times now. Um, things have shifted a little bit. I've become more of a manager in our business. Uh, so you're, the- you're checking it more frequently, but do you still hold true to that, that noon rule or are you kind of a bit, is, are you, have you become a bit more seismic with it? No, I would say it's, it's come back to about 10 AM, but that's still after I've been awake for six hours. So Exa- yeah, exactly. So for, I, I mean, it, it might it'd be noon for a normal person. But that's the thing is so many people, they're focused on the agendas of others, which is what you mentioned in the book. Uh, what, what's the, I mean, one of the big things you mentioned in the book is the idea of getting that first priority out of the way. And I'm big on priority right now, but what is like, what, what happens to people? What happened to you when you first started doing this? I think that's the best way to approach this is when you started to say, you know what, I'm going to do my, 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 my top priority first thing in the morning. What was the change that you noticed almost right away? Okay. So just a little story. So in 2007 ish, I would, you know, I went from being a full-time personal trainer over the two years before that to being a full-time online internet entrepreneur. And when I finally was able to not have clients first thing in the morning, then it was, it gave me too much freedom. And, you know, you'd wake up late and you'd be like, oh, I can do whatever I want. And that would actually just make you more stressed, stressed out. And so I was checking my email when I was waking up at 7.30 in the morning. First thing I do, I'd open up the email. And then I realized this is this is not a good way of doing things because if it was a really good email, um, then you might not do something. And if it was a really bad email, it'd be like that, putting that worm in your head and you couldn't get it out of your head all day. You'd be wanting to write the reply back. You'd be wanting to go and, and send an angry email, but you can't do that. But it would throw you off for the rest of the day. So what I realized I needed to do was open my email later. And I just did it five minutes at a time. 
And at the same time, I also got up earlier five minutes at a time because I knew that getting up at 730 for me personally was too late. I wanted, I'm a morning person. I want to do a lot of stuff in the morning. doesn't mean that everybody has to get up at six o'clock in the morning, but you need to find the right time for you and get up at the right time. But with the email, it's five minutes at a time and you just fight it and you fight it and you fight it because listen, the world didn't blow up while you were sleeping. And if you can wait another hour, it's probably not going to blow up in that hour. So those emails that were there since two o'clock in the morning can wait another hour. Yeah. And that's the other thing that, that fascinates me is that, you know, I mean, you're right. Absolutely. The, the email that was sent last night, it can still wait. But the problem is if you respond to emails at a time where it's not best for you to respond to them. And I mean, again, I'm being very loose with this term. You create a boundary that says, hey, you know what? Craig's going to send an email. If I email Craig at seven in the morning, he's going to respond. You actually are creating these boundaries in and giving yourself permission to adhere to them when you do something like that, as well as giving yourself permission to work on your most important thing first thing in the morning, because you're creating these boundaries. And, and that's a lot of what what you talk about in this book is the idea of frameworks and structures. Most people freak out, and I think that's probably – I haven't read any of these articles, but I'm betting that a lot of people are saying, oh, well, it's too, it's too, it's too rigid. It's not it's, – it's, I, I, it, it'll take away my freedom. But frameworks – I've said this before, and you, you echo this in the book. Frameworks foster freedom. Yeah, it's a great point, and you're absolutely right. That's another – you know, way for people to shoot down. Oh, I don't need more rules, rules in my life, or I don't want any rules in my life. But I mean, you're kidding yourself if you think that, first of all, you don't operate by rules, or second of all, that there's no rules in your life. I mean, if you ever stop at a red light, you're following the rules. But those red lights serve an incredibly important purpose in our life. If there was no red lights, no stop signs on the, on the streets, it would be utter chaos. You'd never get to where you wanted to get to. You'd be probably dead, but you never have that freedom in your life by that the you know traffic lights give us because they give us that structure and they let us get to our destination and do what we want. And so we need those things in our lives. A lot of people listening also probably have some nutrition rules that they follow. There might be paleo eaters, there might be vegans, vegetarians, there might be, you know, people that follow a Mediterranean diet or a South Beach diet, whatever it is. If you have that in place, you also have rules in your life, and those rules make you less stressed and give you more results. And so that's what the boundaries for anything in your life, whether it's you know having an end time for a meeting or an end time for a phone call or a structure for which you do employee interviews, all of those things make everything better. And so that is the value of having those boundaries in place. And one of those boundaries, as you mentioned earlier in one of your questions, Mike, was Hey, get up and work on your number one priority for a little bit of time first thing in the morning or early in the morning so that you actually make progress on what matters because most people don't. They end up working very busily all day long and then it's five o'clock or six o'clock and they go, I was so crazy busy today, but I didn't get anything done. And that's the irony of not having structure when you have just that freedom of I'll do whatever I want and respond to any fires, you end up in that ironic position of being busy but not getting anything done well and and the other thing is is, is that you you mentioned this in the book too about the idea of uh, and we'll get to the ten three two one zero uh component in a little bit but one of the things i've done and this is this was challenging uh, especially when it's it's it goes against largely your social circles or whatever and you talk about you know who you hang out with and stuff as well there's a lot of great stuff in in what is really not a very lengthy book it's very jam-packed 
But one of the things I've done is I'm doing the a 90 day challenge with the one year no beer uh, folks, and uh, I'll put the link to the show notes in that in the episode because you know, I'm well into it by the time we're we're listening to this. And uh, you know, you create. Not only did I create the rule. And it's, I get to create the rule. That's the best part. I think that's what a lot of people forget is, is that if you create the rule, that's freeing as opposed to following the other rules that are thrust upon you. But for me to be able to say, I'm not drinking any alcohol between now and, and 90 days at the very least, that's a rule. I can follow that. And when I went to, I went to a friend's house not too long ago and he said, come over for a drink. And I said, I'll bring my, I'll bring my, uh, Beck's blue, my near beer. And he said, what? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I said, you know, I like the taste of beer, but I'm not drinking alcohol right now. And he, and, and I explained, I explained re- part of the reason why. And there was no, you know, oh, well, what's wrong with you? And if there was, it would have been, nah, that's fine. Um, I've done a lot of weird experiments like that, though, so I think they're used to it by now. But the point is, is that if you get to create the rule, and it's, again, that friction, you remove that friction from the equation, I think that, I mean, as you say, that's a big, that's you putting, again, that's the control element that you talk about, right? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, my rules are not your rules. And that is another thing that people get hung up on. They say, oh, I couldn't get up at that time of day. And you know, my answer is I'm not asking you to. I'm asking you to get up at the right time for you. I live my life by extreme examples so that someone will move ahead and do things that are slightly better for themselves. So if they get up 15 minutes earlier than usual and 15 minutes before anybody else in their house, then they can spend 15 minutes thinking clearly and concisely on their number one opportunity or problem in life and solving that and fixing that and taking advantage of that. So that's what I'm trying to convey. And then another thing that you mentioned, and it ties in nicely to your visit to the Macworld uh, conference, is that the rules can be thought of as an operating system. And we have computers that have operating systems because that is how they get things done. And if we have an operating system for ourselves, such as a time we get up, a thing that we do first thing in the morning, uh, a generally normal nutrition pattern so that we are eating for energy and having the right fuel and then, you know, doing the right things in the morning when we control it and then making sure that we're doing the right activities for our energy levels over the course of the day and then leaving work at a certain time and then switching off the work mode and going into family mode when we get home and then having a set time for when we go to bed. Sure, it doesn't sound like you're going to be the world's most interesting man and you're not going to get a Dos Equis commercial, but that's all fine. I mean, you're not drinking anyways, so you're not going to get one, Mike. (laughs) But I mean, most people would be much better off if they followed something like that because they'd be less stressed out instead of running around like a, you know, the proverbial chicken with its head cut off trying to do a million things because they don't really know which things matter. The rituals and routines are so important. I think that that having a, a opening and closing to your day, it's kind of, and I've talked about this before about setting boundaries. I want to talk about the idea of the morning stuff though because I am not a morning person. I am a night owl. And so the first thing I saw when I opened this book, I'm like, oh, there's a sunrise. There's a total sunrise. on, And I've read Miracle Morning. So I know how Elrod stuff. I'm like, this book's going to tell me that I need to get up at like four in the morning. And I'm not going to this. And this is instantly my thought. And, and, you know, it's it it was very much like I'm I'm not going to do that because that's not the way my body's wired. I've done research on it and stuff, too, because that's my forte is talk about the night owl stuff. But what I found 
interesting about this book is that, like you said, you didn't tell people get up at four in the morning. You didn't tell them to get up at five, six, seven. You can still have this if you are a shift worker that happens to work nights. You can have this if you're a night owl like me and you just want to, you know, you want to make sure that you, you, you still have that perfect day. You just structure it around the schedule that you are wired to do, let's say that would that be apt, an apt way to put it? Absolutely. And it's, it's funny. One of my best friends is a night owl. And so I would stay at his house in Florida sometimes. And he runs a supplement company, very successful. Some supplement company is very successful uh, email copywriter. And he works from about 10 a.m. till 4 a.m. And I, my bedroom when I stay at his place is right beside his office. And so I would get up at 4 a.m. And he would be going to bed. You guys just high five each other as you trade off. <laughs> we would, yeah, we would literally pass like ships in the night. Um, it, it's actually what re- reminded me of Mike. I don't know if you ever watched uh, Bugs Bunny cartoons. When yes, you're... the the the, the Wiley, the two coyotes with a punch clock, right? <laughs> yeah, the two sheepdogs. Yeah, that's we, it. Yeah, the sheepdogs. Sorry, yeah, yeah but I knew exactly what you were talking. Good morning, Sam, and the other one would get you know, good morning, Fred, and, yep. and they. You know, the one's checking out and the one's checking in. And that's what it was like. Um, and, and you're absolutely right, though, because it simply is a system that you plug in your biological uh, preferences for. Now, it is difficult for people to have that discipline at night. You know, my friend can go and work from 10 until 4. Most people are going to go and, you know, be on Netflix and HBO, which is very tough. But uh, have you ever read the book Daily Rituals by Mason Curry? I have, Yes. Okay, so that's a wonderful example of here's people very different schedules in life, but are simply using relatively the same structure, which is finding the time that they're going to be most productive and then guarding it like my dog guards its dog food bowl when you put dog food in it. You know, it's just like you're not getting any of this time. And that's allowed Stephen King, who writes horror stories when you're eating breakfast to write over 50 novels. I mean, he writes from 9 a.m. to two to 12 or 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time every single day until he hits his word quota. So for you, Mike, when you're literally eating breakfast, he's writing some crazy thing about, you know, pet cemeteries and death by motorcycle wheel. You know, if you've ever yep. read that book, I mean, just absolutely horrible things in the morning because he has structured his life around his schedule to be absolutely prolific. And so if he can do that, uh, if a guy like Neil Strauss, who spent years covering Motley Crue, can write in the morning, anybody can find the right time for them. Anybody can you know, give the morning a shot, whether or not it works for you or not, it, it's okay. But you can all plug in yourself into the structure. Yeah, and I think that that, that is very important. Uh, reading that book, by the way, by uh, – by, um... Mason Curry. Oh, it was so it, because it validated a lot of what I thought. I mean, you look at some the some of the people that were they would they would be working, you know, like Voltaire. He started working at like ten at night and would again by noon he was done. Right? Uh, you know, you have people that were working into the there's there's a lot of people that do prescribe to the morning stuff, and that's why Hal's book Miracle Morning has been so successful. A lot of there there is that that tethering to if early to bed. Early to rise makes a man healthy, and you know the early bird gets the worm and all that stuff. I like to say the second mouse gets the cheese, but that's just me. Uh, so, well, one, but, one thing I'll say about that, Mike, is that the one commonality between almost all of those writers was 
they worked when no one was bothering them. That's that's so exactly you true. in the morning. Yeah. And you work when no one's going to bother you or you work when no one's going to bother you at night. Now, again, the problem is most people, I think, unless they're truly a night owl and they can't, you know, they don't sleep well. If they try and make themselves into a night owl, uh, they'll have too many temptations and they'll give into it. Plus, a lot of people, if they're doing this on the side, you know, they're going to be working or, you know, they're trying to do something on the side. They might be working a regular job nine to five and then they come home and by, you know, nine or 10 p.m. at night, they're just completely drained. And then if they think that they're going to accomplish something from 10 till midnight, again, most of the time it goes out the window. But if you get up in the morning an hour early, most people have accidentally got up an hour early. Maybe they couldn't sleep or, you know, with standard time, they forgot to switch their clocks. And the next thing you know, they're up an hour early. Mm -hmm. Or for guys like me, when I travel out to the West Coast, like where you live, you just can't sleep to your normal time. So you get up by accident and then you realize, holy crap, I got a whole lot extra done today by getting up a little early. So that's where I think most people will generally fall. Right. And I think that it's important to note that, you know, again, you like you said, when you're not going to be bothered. And this is where I think parents can can, uh, you know, I learned that because my kids and this is how I how I structured it. My kids, if they got up at midnight, I would send them back to bed. There was no there was no choice. It was not like, OK, you, I guess you can stay up. Whereas if the, I was getting up at seven in the morning or, or they were getting up at six in the morning, I was up earlier. There would be a choice there. Well, if I send them back to bed, they're only going to be in bed for another hour. So for me, the night owl thing was part of what I did before with comedy, but also dealing with with children, you know, and being the the one that would work at night for for I would just know I wouldn't get bothered. And I think that that's again, we're all wired differently, I think. And you're right. I don't think anyone that is. I don't think anyone should aspire to be a night owl necessarily. I think that, that that's that's the – but I think what people should do is aspire to have a framework in place regardless. And that's what you talk about. I want to talk now about the idea of the not-to-do list because d- this goes hand-in-hand with the rules component. So you actually have a list, and we've seen this before. I've talked about this a little bit before about the things that you, you won't do. But you, these are almost like – just like your rules, these are like rules for things you will never do or not do, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and these are essentially – putting up the boundaries in place. And from what I learned in my kind of past life as a weight loss transformation coach is I realized that you can do the right things five days a week, even six days a week. But if you do too many of the wrong things one day a week or even, you know, one meal a week, that just ruins everything. So it's more the the bad things that you do. Avoiding the bad things can actually get you more results in life than doing the right things. Mm-hmm. Right, absolutely. And and now let's talk about the idea of when you are adhering to these rules, and when you're you know when and when you're adhering to these rules that both allow you to do things, and then you you say don't prescribe you to do things. I want to talk about journaling because this is a big part of what I do. Do you journal? I mean, you've got a journal as part of it. So to say, do you journal is, I mean, I look, I see a journal right here. Why is journaling important and why, why do you make it as part of the whole perfect day formula system? Our journal is a gratitude journal, but it also has the ability for someone to put in, you know, just general thoughts as well. But, you know, the gratitude journaling is something that changed my life. I was a very skeptical um, type of person. And, and the gratitude journal has definitely opened my mind and going back to being open-minded. And that's the importance of being able to change in life. Uh, the gratitude journaling has helped me with that. So in our gratitude journal, we 
We help you show gratitude for the things that you've accomplished, for the people that are around you, the achievements that you've made in the day. Um, so that's what we do there. Now, that's not traditional journaling where someone can just go and write whatever they want. But I think that's also very valuable. Um, I don't necessarily do that, but I do a lot of writing about and publishing of my essays and my habits on our website. Um, so it's I get my own journaling in, in one way or another, I suppose. And the other thing that I do is some big thinking, which is I do a big thinking exercise idea that James Altucher made pop hmm. popular, you know, just writing down 10 big ideas for whatever it is in your life. So I do a lot of that stuff. And I think it just is generally important for someone to be alone with their thoughts for five, 10, preferably 15 minutes over the course of the day, because most people are so reactive and they never actually have time to think and plan and prepare and be proactive, which is really what gets people ahead in life. All right, let's shift gears for a second now and talk about the, you know, the, the 10, three, two, one, zero, formula. I want to talk about that. So let's go through that for good night formula because I want to I want to kind of dive into that. I love the fact that it's both quantitative and qualitative. So let's let's dive into that for it. Can you describe that and 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 kind of first off describe it then how you came up with it? Yeah, I, I, well really I came up with it just from a lot of reading. And so it goes like this. It's 10 hours before bed, you're going to want to stop drinking caffeine. So if you want to go to bed at 10 o'clock at night, no more coffee after 12 o'clock in the afternoon. You know, no more energy drinks. Really cut back on your caffeine. And then three hours before bed, you want to avoid alcohol and you want to avoid heavy meals, particularly those that have a lot of uh, sugar and fat and spices because those things have all been shown to disrupt your sleep cycles. Now, I know, I mean, this is where a lot of people just rejected this formula in their articles online. And they said, Oh, I want to have a glass of wine before I go to bed just to relax. And I understand that. I understand, you know, you've had a, a very difficult day and one drink is very nice just to take the edge off. And a lot of people do find that it helps them sleep, go to sleep, that is. But research shows that it interferes with your sleep cycle. So you don't get into that deep, restful sleep. And the next morning you wake up and you're groggy, even though you were in bed for eight hours. And that's because of the alcohol. So, I mean, it's just an adult uh, choice here. You can either continue to have that habit, and I'm not going to argue with you, but you just can't complain in the morning about it. So that's the three that goes with it. The two is no more work, work, work before bed. So two hours before bed, no checking email, no working on projects. Allow yourself time to wind down. And then an hour before bed, it's no electronic uh, screens. So the blue light emitted from those screens increases our alertness. Now, I know that there's uh, glasses out there that can reduce the blue light, but I would not take any chances with it. If I want to have my best night's sleep, I would stop looking at all screens about an hour before bed. And that's what I do. I mean, I go in, shift into reading old school books, newspapers, magazines, whatever it is. And after about 15 or 20 minutes of reading, I'm, you know, yawning and pretty darn tired. So I just go to bed. But I mean, you can do anything, anything that takes you away from a screen, make your lunch, you know, have some time with your spouse, do whatever, just don't look at screens, because that stuff will keep you up. It'll, if you're tossing and turning, because you've been checking your iPhone emails for the last 30 minutes before bed, that's the reason. And then finally, the zero is actually the next morning, which is the number of times that you should hit the snooze button. And we say not to do that. Because again, 
if you hit the snooze and you fall back into sleep, you get into a sleep cycle and then you get disrupted from that sleep cycle. And so I've done a lot of research and reading on the 90-minute sleep cycles. I'm a big fan of that mindset. So if I woke up at six after six hours of sleep and my alarm was going to go off in 45 minutes, in most cases, I actually wouldn't go back to sleep because I know that I'd wake up again in the middle of a sleep cycle. I'd rather get an, you know, a 20-minute power nap in later on in the day and then go to bed earlier the next night. So you just don't want to hit the snooze button because it also puts you in reactive mode. If you have your alarm set at the time you should get up, then you hit the snooze button two or three times. Now you're behind the eight ball. Now you're trying to catch up to the world and you're never going to end that day feeling fantastic about what you accomplished. And that's the whole purpose of the book is to give you the structure so that you can leave work on time, get home on time for dinner and feel like you made amazing progress and then be able to be present at home with your family. So all this structure that we've talked about and probably may have turned some people off about it's really so that they have more freedom. And that's what these formulas allow people to do when you follow them. That's a great, great way to wrap up, Craig. Thanks so much for your time today. Where can people find you on the internet? And where, and where can they get this, this, this perfect day formula? Not just the book, but can they get the whole package as well? Yeah, so the Perfect Day Formula is available at perfectdayformula.com. I have filmed a little video for everybody so they can go through as I do an unboxing video of the kit that you've mentioned a couple times, Mike. There's so many cheat sheets in there that allow people to get everything done, to create their vision, to set up their boundaries for life, to put in place the five pillars of success, get that gratitude journal, everything that they need to really set up. And that's at perfectdayformula.com. And people can ask me any questions that they have at twitter.com forward slash Craig Ballantyne. That's the fastest way to get a hold of me. Thanks so much for joining me today on the Productivity's Podcast, Craig. Thank you so much, Mike. Big thanks to Craig for joining me this week on the podcast. You can find all of his materials, all of the stuff we talked about in the show notes. That's it for this week's episode. Big thanks to John Polstra for producing the show. Thanks to all of you for listening. And until next time, I am your host, Mike Barter, the founder of Productivityist and the host of the Productivityist podcast, reminding you to stop guessing and start going. <laughs>